Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome to the Serial Killer Podcast, the podcast dedicated to serial killers, who they were, what they did, and how. Episode 204. I am your humble host, Thomas Rosland Weiburg Thun. Tonight, we continue on our Scandinavian sojourn into the life and crimes of Dagmar Overby, aka the Angel Maker. Last episode, we focused on her difficult childhood, youth, and early adulthood. We continue this in this episode, but we will also witness her descent into utter depravity and evil. Enjoy. This episode, like all other sagas told by me, would not be possible without my loyal Patreonies. They are Elizabeth, Cassandra, Russell, Lisa, Cody, Kathy, James, Corbin, Kylie, Niao, Sabina, Val, Marilyn, Craig, Emily, Missy, Jonathan, Lance, Susanna, the Duggletons, Jennifer, Lunavar, Dmac, Cheryl, Richard, Robert, and Brad. You are truly the backbone of the Serial Killer podcast, and without you, there would be no show. Thank you. I am forever grateful for my elite TSK Producers Club, and I want to show you that your patronage is not given in vain. All TSK episodes will be available 100% ad-free to my TSK Producers Club on patreon.com slash theserialkillerpodcast. No generic ads, no ad reads, no jingles. I promise. And of course, if you wish to donate $15 a month, that's only seven fifty per episode, you are more than welcome to join the ranks of the TSK Producers Club too. So don't miss out and join now. The cold lay like a heavy blanket over the station, and Dagmar shuddered. Autumn was on its way, and with it came a biting wind. Or maybe she just felt that way, because she was standing there, without work, without money, and without a place to go, where she could be sure of being welcome. Dagmar pulled the shawl very tightly around her dark blue dress, and shouldered her burlap knapsack. There was always lively activity at the railway station. 
The street vendors sold fruit and bread, the newspaper boys ran around with the regional newspaper, and the homeless begged for coins. Dagmar edged her way past stalls and people, while she kept her eyes fixed on the door out onto the street. All her money had gone towards the ticket, and the smell from the stalls reminded her how hungry she was. Her stomach almost shrunk in pain, but she could endure her hunger. Think about something else and postpone her body's needs because she wanted it that way. As she was walking through the city, Dagmar passed a restaurant called the Cattle Square, that's Kvegtorve in Danish, and spotted the small sign in the window which read, and I quote, Waitress wanted. Board and lodging are provided as well as 13 kroner per month. Dagmar stopped immediately and let her eyes slide over the façade and into the restaurant. It seemed like a decent enough place in her eyes. With a big smile on her lips, Dagmar entered the restaurant and asked for the owner. The owner, called Sørensen, came forward, held out his hand and invited her into the office for a little chat. He seemed like a jovial man of about forty with ruddy cheeks and warm brown eyes. He had a trusting face and large, rough hands that could give a firm handshake. Dagmar knew immediately that she would get along well with him. His voice was deep and rough, as if of the kind who had been fond of beer and smoke for many years. He said to the young woman, and I quote, Miss Overby, I think we should just say that the two of us have an agreement. Can you start tonight? Yes, I know very well that it is short notice, but there is a reason why I have looked for help, and the fact that you have come straight from a restaurant in the capital, that works extremely well for me. End quote. Dagmar nodded, smiling. She had not told him about the prison stay, and had hoped to keep it that way. She would rather start tonight, and preferably with the food. He led her up to the small rooms above the restaurant and showed her where hers would be. Dagmar threw her knapsack off her on the bed, went over to the window and squeezed it open. There was a slightly musty smell in the room, as if it had been unoccupied for a long time. Sørensen waited for her and took her down to the kitchen, where he introduced her to the cook and the male waiter. The cook was a plump man in his fifties with small piercing eyes and thick fingers. He was dressed in black trousers, a shirt which had once been white, and a large apron, on which the menus of the last several days could be seen in a variety of disgusting stains. Dagmar felt immediate antipathy towards him, especially because his lustful gaze slid up and down her body. She simply nodded at him and let her gaze drift to the waiter. His name was Biscord, and he was a man in his late thirties, tall and slim with short dark hair and warm grey-green eyes, which smiled kindly at her. His features were very chiselled, but were offset by the gentleness that flowed from him. He immediately came over, took her hand, and bowed gallantly to her, and said, and I quote, Welcome to our humble establishment, Miss Overby. Sorensen let out a loud laugh, 
and said with a big grin, and again I quote, Biscard, you are and will always be a womanizer of rank. I should have thought of that, then I could have paid a little less in return, so that the women can get compliments from you every day. The three men laughed at each other, and even Dagmar had to smile. She liked the atmosphere in the place, that there was room for humor, and she winked at Biscord. She wanted to fall in love with him. That was clearly an advantage, now that they were going to spend so many hours together. Sørensen asked the cook, called Mikkelsen, to find some food for Dagmar, and took out a clean apron from a cupboard. He handed it over to Dagmar and told her she could eat her fill before starting work on the restaurant floor. Dagmar nodded, smiling. She accepted the apron and sat down at the small table. Mikkelsen came over with a plate of hot food, which she put in front of her. Hungry as she was, she began to eat, and only halfway through the portion did she discover how he was staring lustfully at her. Instantly she put down her cutlery and gave him a hateful look. She then told him, in no uncertain terms, that she would accept no untoward acts from him, and if he even tried to lay a finger on her, she would go straight to Sørensen and report him. The cook quickly turned away, defeated and rather sad-looking. She finished eating in peace. A lot could be said about Mikkelsen, but he certainly knew how to cook. However, she had not intended to tell him that. He was to be kept on a tight leash. Dagmar took the plate and cutlery to the sink, where she quickly finished the dishes. She reached for the apron, put it on, and tied it tightly around her waist. Her hands slid up and ensured that the hair sat as it should, and after a deep breath she went on to the restaurant floor. Biscord quickly showed her how things should be arranged, and soon Dagmar was busy serving. The hours flew by, and the mood became more and more relaxed as the evening progressed. The men made advances, and Dagmar often felt violated. The problem was, she could not allow herself to reject them too harshly. They were customers, paying guests, and should be treated with respect. She soon found out, however, that a couple of quick, ambiguous remarks were enough to keep them at bay in the vast majority of cases. The room was completely empty when they were finally able to close the restaurant, and Dagmar's eyes burned from the thick tobacco smoke. She was looking forward to getting upstairs, where the air would be a little more pleasant by now. But first there was the clean-up. That had to be finished. Biscard was efficient, he knew how to get things done, and Dagmar enjoyed working with him. Sorensen stayed behind the bar and did not take too much part in the hard work himself. But Dagmar thought that's how it should be. He was the owner, after all. He now stood and counted the tills, while the other two wiped the tables, emptied ashtrays, and set up the chairs. Dagmar was sore all over when she was finally able to walk up the stairs and into her room. She had to get water down to the washstand and a walk in the yard at the outhouse before she could sit down on the bed and take off her lace-up boots. 
She rubbed her sore feet and whimpered a little as she stretched her toes out. Her arms and shoulders ached too. The serving trays were heavy, and the movements were unfamiliar to her. She was asleep almost before her head hit the pillow, and did not wake up until the sun shone through the window the next morning. About six months later, in May of 1910, Dagmar was struggling up the stairs to her room. Once again she had been in the outhouse to throw up. The nausea was a problem for her. She hated it like the plague, not being able to hold anything back, but constantly having to run and sacrifice herself. She was angry with herself that she had become pregnant. Biscord was the father of the child, and their relationship had changed after he had found out. They had not been boyfriends, girlfriends before either, but he had been good to her. He had taken her to places she would not otherwise have seen, and waited for her to the best of his ability. She had finally given in to his advances. However, she had not enjoyed it, but had simply laid still and patiently waited for him to finish inside of her. Soon it had become a fixed routine, that every Friday and Saturday he went with her to her chamber. Mikkelsen had been mean when he discovered it. He was jealous, of course, but Dagmar was cold. No one should decide over her, let alone what she did in her spare time. But the pregnancy had not been part of the plan. She had been let go by Sorensen, admittedly with regret in his voice, but it was of no use. She already had difficulty getting around the tables, because she felt nauseous every time someone bumped into her, and that made it necessary for her to run out all the time. At the pharmacies she had gotten some ginger sticks to suck on, but even that was not enough. Dagmar frowned. She had been allowed to move in with her sister Emilia and her husband, which of course gave her some peace of mind, but she hated the idea of being a burden to others. Something else that worried her was that what she would do with the child when it arrived, but she would cross that bridge when she came to it. Then it was time to pack and get out the door before the customers arrived. Sørensen had already gotten hold of a new waitress, a young girl from Hamel, who was to take over both her job and chamber. Dagmar quickly packed up, once again grabbed her burlap knapsack, and moved down the stairs again. Sørensen stood by the door and held out his hand with a sad look in farewell, and handed her an envelope with her final salary plus a little extra. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time seems to be a dwindling resource nowadays. Work. Family, bills, chores, and the endless time thief of social media. But imagine, if you will, dear listener, what's the first thing you'd do if you had an extra hour in your day? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, time for what? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. Everyone needs someone to talk to, even psychopaths, even your humble host. So, if you're thinking of starting therapy, give better help a try. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash killer today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash killer. On the 14th of September, 1910, Dagmar Overby gave birth to a baby boy while laying in her sister's house. Dagmar had spent the first months with Emilia, with the boy, before she had felt ready to move into a new place. Although she cared for her sister in her own warped way, it was nevertheless strange to get away from her clinging and sometimes judgmental manner. Emilia was unhappy with everything she did. She criticized Dagmar for her way of looking after the child, and she did not think that Dagmar took enough care of him. Also, after Dagmar had retained her lithe and supple figure, Emilia's husband had made advances on Dagmar. Since she lived under his roof, Dagmar had thought it proper that she let him have sex with her, and Emilia had endured in silence. It had not been easy to find a new place in such a short time, but at last she had found a place as a housekeeper with landlord Rasmus Jørgensen, who lived north of Aarhus. As expected, considering he was a man, he too had made advances. Dagmar had given in, this time in light of the fact that he accepted that she had the child with her. After half a year with him, she had moved on to forest worker Jens Jespersen in Saal. The chemistry between them did not fit at all, so after only four months, 
Dagmar was on her way to Aarhus with her small suitcase and the boy on her arm. Emilia and Peder, her husband, had once again opened their door for her, although Dagmar now probably thought she knew the price. Peder would expect bed warmth in return. To her astonishment, Emilia had come to pick her up. As soon as Dagmar was down on the platform, Emilia came running and quickly embraced Dagmar, before taking the child from her and looking at him fondly and complimented on how cute he was. A few days later, Dagmar took a weekend trip to her grandmother and brought her child with her. There, tragedy struck. According to the doctor, the child had died from pneumonia, but considering the child had been perfectly healthy only the day before, no one knew for sure if that indeed had been the cause of death. Sudden infant death syndrome was a terrible fate far more common over a hundred years ago than it is today. Over a year later, in December of 1911, Dagmar was working at yet another restaurant as a waitress. She had just found out she was pregnant again, but had told no one, and it did not show. While working one evening, a middle-aged man called Anton Nilsson, who delivered fish to the restaurant, came in. He was well known, and Dagmar turned on her charm, which she could muster in droves when needs must. Her plan was simple. Get an older man on the hook, have sex, and then pretend the child was his. Hopefully the man would marry her, and her future would be secured. Her plan worked like a charm. The elder man fell deeply in love with Dagmar and could not believe his luck. She was a beautiful young woman, and he was thrilled she wanted to marry him. However, Dagmar had forgot one part of the plan, herself. She was a very difficult woman who seldom truly liked anyone, and Anton was a man she could not stand. A few days after the wedding, she left their home to go stay with her sister again. She fought with Anton regularly, and often left to stay with her sister. One night, while they, or rather she, was arguing, she blurted out that she was pregnant. Naturally, Anton assumed it was his child, and he was about to embrace her in joy. He had always wanted children. However, Dagmar quickly followed up with her wish that he pay for her to get an illegal abortion. She did not want the child. Anton refused. Although he was a meek and mild man, even he had his limits. He threatened her that he would report her if she went through with the abortion, which at the time in Denmark was highly illegal. A few days later, Dagmar left Anton's home and drifted about until she would give birth. This time she gave birth to a baby girl. Unlike with her son, Dagmar felt love towards her daughter, but she could not afford to keep the child, and her new man did not want a baby to deal with. So she gave her daughter up to be cared for by foster parents until she was capable of being a proper mother again. 
two years later, and Dagmar was again pregnant, this time with her husband Jens. He wanted her to take an abortion or give the child up, but she refused. She gave birth to a baby boy at home, and even though Jens did not like it, he helped out with the birth as well as he could. Once again, Dagmar was struck by how little she felt for her new son. With her daughter, she had felt love. Now she just felt disdain for the child, just as she had with her first son. And yes, the death of her first son had not been pneumonia or sudden infant death syndrome. No, dear listener, Dagmar had taken a pillow and put it firmly over her infant son's face and held it there until the baby stopped wriggling about. Then she had held it there some more to make sure the child was dead. The thought of getting rid of this child struck her again, but she knew she had to be more careful. The doctor who had written the death certificate for her first son had been a drunkard, but even he had seemed somewhat suspicious. Her husband, Jens, solved the problem for her. He did not want the child any more than she did, but his heart was not as dark as hers. He suggested to her that they leave the baby anonymously to some neighbors who already had kids. They would surely take care of the kid, and then they could be free. Dagmar eagerly agreed, and in the middle of the night they snuck up to the neighboring farm, and Dagmar dropped the infant through an open window. She heard a thud as the baby landed on the floor, but no more sounds came. She left and returned to her husband, who smiled lovingly at her. Luckily, the baby had not been injured or killed from the fall through the window. The farmer couple discovered the boy the next morning, and the woman, who was pregnant and had lots of milk, nursed the child immediately. As the sun rose in the sky, the couple called the police. Soon the child was taken to hospital to be checked for any illness or leads as to who the parents were. When the investigations were over, the authorities were unsure as to what to do with the child. He was going to be baptized in any case, so the parish priest was contacted, and he immediately showed up to baptize the boy. Only when the church action was well underway and Pastor T. V. Paulson asked what the child was to be called, did it dawn on them all that they had not thought of that little detail. The doctor was a good-natured man. He felt sorry for the little one and suggested that the child be given his first name, Paul. The surname was another matter, as one still had no idea where the child came from. They agreed to call him Paul Lemmer, because he had been found in the area called just that. A far bigger problem was what to do with the boy in the long term. The parish clerk wanted to inquire with the farmer couple, named Marin and Lars, if they might be interested in taking the child in. After all, they were the ones who had found him. But Marin and Lars had so much expenses and work in connection with their own seven children, that they had to decline the offer. And so it was that Severin and Thomas Hugor 
who lived in Sundar Kastrup, was given the child to care for. The elderly couple were not wealthy and already received old-age support. Therefore, a care allowance of 250 kroner per year was agreed upon. This was not a fortune, but a decent amount of money by that time's standard. In today's money, it's about $2,000. Meanwhile, the police were still investigating the mysterious case. Rumours were that a group of gypsies had just in those days been passing through, and people were not slow to accuse them of the misdeed. However, the investigators quickly acquitted the gypsies. This was not their work. Over time, the story was somewhat forgotten, because there were no more leads to pursue. At the same time, Dagmar curiously followed the course of the investigation in the newspapers, and she paid particular attention to the fact that the elderly couple had been given so much money to care for a child. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. And with that, we come to the end of part two in this uniquely Scandinavian serial killer saga. Next episode, we'll continue Dagmar Overby's tale of misery and murder. So, as they say in the land of radio, stay tuned. What follows is a message to my dear Norwegian listeners in Norwegian. Jeg minner om at min norskspråklige podcast Seriemordepodden er tilgjengelig og lytte til både på Spotify, Apple Podcasts og alle andre steder du hører på podcast. Så som de sier i Radioland, følg med. Følg med.